Happy Father's Day. It's a, uh, it's a sweet, just general blessing to be a dad. And um, it's something we should be thankful for. It's also probably one of the most powerful testimonies that we have. And so for those of you here who are dads, let me give you a simple challenge that you can live with. You can take away from here and you can apply today. Normalize biblical, spiritual conversations in your home. Don't make it awkward to talk about Jesus. Don't make it awkward to talk about the Bible. Don't make it awkward to talk about the implications of God's truths in our life. It should just be the most common conversation in your home, among your kids. It should just happen. It doesn't have to be sit down devotion at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night. It should just be present. And that's my challenge for you. Talk about the things of God with your kids and be thankful. Cherish the responsibility that we get to take on as dads. It's a sweet thing. It's a sweet thing. We continue our studies uh, in Hebrews. We're in chapter 7, verse 22. Uh, We're really just looking at one verse um, this morning. It's in verse 22. It says this, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. That's our big truth. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. And we got to pause right off the bat because I'm from East Tennessee and I know you. I know some of you. And this is exactly what some of you were thinking. You don't even have to tell me. I can see it in your eyes. Guarantor. It sounds like a Lord of the Rings character. Like a knight from Middle Earth. Guarantor. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I, it's just one of those odd terms that I just don't think should be. I I don't know what I think it should be. I was thinking about that this week. It's like guarantee or, no, that's like more like Winnie the Pooh. I don't know. But I think if we in East Tennessee got to set the rules, it would be like guarantee You know, that's like a Larry the Cable Bot guy, get it done kind of a thing. Get it done. Guarantee I don't know. Anyway, I I don't understand our language. (laughs) I just don't. Some of you are with me, right? You're nodding your head. Here's the main point. Jesus, our eternal high priest, ensures a new agreement. He ensures a new agreement. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about covenant and we introduce that term into our study of Hebrews. We are talking about how God, the creator, has agreed to relate to his creation, specifically us humans. The old, the former, has passed because Jesus establishes a new, he ensures a new agreement, a new way in which we relate to God. Last week, Paul did an incredible job. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. And he was walking us through chapter 7 and 
we saw that the law is good, it's helpful in that it exposes our sin. But we also saw that the law is weak and useless in that we are incapable of keeping it. And so the law reveals God's standard and it also reveals our hopelessness to meet God's standard left to ourselves. Chapter 7, verse 18, you remember, for on one hand, a former commandment, that's the priesthood and with it the law, is set aside because of its weakness, uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. That's our first implication, first big idea. Perfection was not attainable through the old covenant. And when we say perfection, we began to talk about that last week. We're talking about really the answer to the question that every religion asks. How can we, the creation, be right with the creator? How can we be right with God? How do we meet his standard. And this perfection was not attainable through Levi, our broken priest. It wasn't attainable through the law or our broken effort. But in verse 19, the author goes on, he says, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Perfection. How can we be right with God? How can we be in the presence of God? Through this better hope that is introduced. So we see our second implication. That perfection is attainable through a new covenant. It's being introduced. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus atoned for our sins once and forever. And now Jesus anchors our soul in God's presence where he has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become our high priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, a new covenant where perfection, rest, as the author of Hebrews has said, peace, righteousness can be obtained. And so it's important for us to pause and acknowledge that this new covenant is not a plan B. Its difference is not that plan A didn't work and so here's plan B. It's not a change and and it is an abandonment of one because it was inadequate and doesn't work and didn't, didn't, we just messed up on that one so let's try this one. No, it is the fulfillment of the old covenant. Jeremiah 31 verse 31, behold, the days are coming 
So this is in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. The Lord is speaking and he declares, When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We begin a new series today, and we begin to look and see how Jesus is the better covenant. The author of Hebrews has been building to this. This will be our focus over the next seven weeks, all the way through the end of chapter 9. And a few things as we get there. The author is going to circle through various implications of what it means that Jesus is the better covenant. And in this circling, it's going to be a little repetitive. Even after he introduces this term here in verse 22... He's going to come right back into that and continue to talk about the high priest and the priesthood. And we thought it was a good idea as a church to introduce this series here because the author's introducing it here so that you would see the connection that Jesus is the better high priest who brings a better covenant. And he's going to circle through that. And I'm just giving you a heads up. As we teach through it, you're going to be like, didn't you say that last week? I thought we said that two weeks ago. It's going to feel like that for the next few weeks. And it's not that Mike or I have just like, you know, like just lost our place. No, the author is just going to keep circling through this point. Adding layer upon layer as he does. And so I just want to encourage you. Don't get overwhelmed. And don't become dismissive. There are great things here that weave together that we, that we can grow in, our, not just our understanding, but have application for our life. And I think it's tempting to be overwhelmed by it a little bit, so I'm just letting you know what you're getting into. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the beach. And you walk out on the beach, and you look, and there is the ocean. And it is massive. I mean, the ocean is massive. 70% of the planet's surface is the ocean. 97% of our water is in the ocean. It is deep. And yet on that beach, babies and children play in its shallows. It is accessible. We're studying through Hebrews and we're halfway there. And yes, it is deep. We are unpacking the revelation of God across thousands of years, generations, nations, laws, priests, and covenants. 
but I want you to know it's accessible. It is accessible. Its principle is there for you and I to wade into, to grow into. Jesus is better. And so we want to set aside this one week and just review what the author has been building through these first seven chapters and set up our mind, our 21st century mind, around the idea of covenant language. And so perhaps you're here and you're a kid and you've came through VBS. And by the way, for all of you who served and helped in VBS, thank you. What a cool week it was for our church. Really greatly, greatly thankful for you. Kids had a good time. But maybe you're here and you're a kid and you're like, man, I've been going through Hebrews and we're talking about priests and we're talking about the law. And it seems like a bit much. Perhaps you're just reading your Bible along with us for the first time. It's accessible. Be encouraged. Stay with it. Don't be dismissive. You can follow the author's arguments through priests and law and covenants. And again, in doing so, you will provide soul-anchoring revelation of Jesus. See, I think many Christians instinctively think of the Bible as a collection of these fragmented writings. Like it's all chopped up in little bits and pieces. And it's a problem for us. I mean, I can remember in high school, I thought King Saul had an experience on a road somewhere and then turned into Paul, the apostle. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, see? We kind of have some of these fragmented Bible stories, but until we begin to study, it can seem just daunting and large, and I want you to stay encouraged. And I want you to hear what the author of Hebrews is introducing to us. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, provides one ultimate story with a primary theme. And Christians today have utilized like handles to kind of summarize that story. The Tri-Cities, we do that with creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. They're handles that we use to teach our kids. They can get their arms around this one story. But most of us do that with the Old Testament, the New Testament, the first 39 books in our Bible we refer to as the Old Testament. And the last 27, the New Testament. Say, so what does that have to do with that? Right here in Hebrews 7.22 and what we'll build, that's where we get that term, Testament. It's where it anchors in the pages of Scripture. You say, we didn't read that. No, we said the word covenant. The ESV translates it covenant. And there's a little distinction, and I'm going to take a minute. We're not going to chase it because it's really deep and it's really complex. But I want to make sure you understand enough that you can get the authorial intent that's happening here. The New Testament term is a Greek term. Diatheke is the term. All right? And it means and literally means testament. The idea is the will of someone after death. 
It's the instruction after death. Think last will and testament. The problem is, there's no Hebrew word that conveys that concept. Instead, in Hebrew, when you read back in your Old Testament and you read about covenant, you're reading the word barit. It's a Hebrew word. And it means agreement. Literally, it's to cut an agreement. So when the ESV, which is what we're using this morning, when the ESV is translating this, it's wanting to make sure you understand the concept. That this New Testament word that is translated testament, some of you guys probably have that in some of the Bible versions you're using, is the same concept, Old Testament, covenant. So if you were reading it through in English, which we are, Covenant Old Testament, Covenant New Testament. It's the same concept. It's referring to the same thing. It is how God comes into agreement with his people. It's to cut an agreement. So why does that matter? The author of Hebrews wants his readers to know something over the next few chapters. That the way God relates to his creation has changed. The past, the old agreement, is fulfilled in Jesus forever. And in so doing, Jesus has introduced a new agreement. So the old covenant, the Old Testament with Abrahamic promises and Levitical priests and Mosaic law, helpful and good, but weak, unattainable left to ourselves. Now fulfilled in a new covenant, a new testament with Jesus, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. All that was unattainable, now accomplished in Jesus. See, Jesus fulfills Adam's redemption. Jesus fulfills Abraham's blessing. He fulfills the priesthood atonement. He fulfills the law's righteousness. He fulfills the eternal rule promised to David. These agreements, these covenants... It is Jesus that fulfills them. And so the author introduces this term in 722, and he's going to continue to work through it. And what I want you to see is he's not simply referencing the priesthood or the law. He's not just isolating or compartmentalizing. No, watch. The author of Hebrews is taking hold of the whole Bible story. Specifically, how God relates to his creation, humanity. And he is saying, it is all fulfilled and new in Jesus. All of it. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all of it. The revelation of God. And so, 
Be careful, though, and this is just an aside, be careful because God's covenants are not the theme. They're not the subject of Scripture. That's Jesus. But the author of Hebrews is using it to communicate, to proclaim Jesus, the guarantor of a better agreement, of a better covenant. And this is no small, no compartmentalized, no fragmented claim. Jesus isn't just another one in a long line of. Jesus isn't just next. Jesus fulfills the old and brings the new. Jesus changes everything. It understates him to say he is pivotal. Paul writes, all things were created through him and for him. In Jesus, there is life. Apart from Jesus, there is death. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is not a part of God's revelation. The author of Hebrews is making it clear to us that Jesus is God's revelation. He is the eternal agreement by which God will relate to his creation, to you and I. It is all about him. You exist for his glory. It is all about him. Not 10%, not 90%, not 99%. It is all about him. And so what I want to do is I want to go back through Hebrews in a review. And I want you to see how this argument is building and help you catch up. Perhaps you're new to Tri-Cities and you weren't here when we started. But I just want to walk you through it and just give you a summary overview. I want you to be able to see here what the author of Hebrews is laying out for us. The argument that he's making for Jesus. In chapter 1 begins by introducing Jesus as the better revelation God in full made himself known in the Son. For through Jesus, we know God. Hence, the revelation proclaimed in Jesus surpasses that of God's heavenly servants, the angels. It surpasses that of his earthly servants, even the best, like Moses and Joshua who led God's people. See, while these creations are servants in creation, Jesus, the Son, God, is the creator over creation. Therefore, Jesus alone brings true deliverance. Therefore, Jesus alone brings Sabbath rest, perfection, Peace with God. The ability to be in his presence. It is a rest that is 
incomparable with what is delivered by Moses, Joshua. That what could be delivered by a promised land or a priesthood or a law. As a result, Jesus is our confidence. He is our hope. For in Jesus, there is a better rest, a perfect rest. The author says, therefore, pay closest attention to his revelation. Take care. Be careful. Do not neglect his deliverance. Do not neglect his salvation. Do not neglect the new covenant in him. For there is rest in no other. There is nothing apart from him. Only death. Only separation. But in him there is everything. There's life and hope. The author of Hebrews says, Then let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that peace with God. How? It says to strive to hold fast to our faith. Faith. See, we get a beautiful picture of authentic faith as we study through Hebrews. See, there is no salvation in ourselves, only sin and death. And yet in Jesus there is righteousness, purpose, hope, love, life. We turn from ourselves, put to death our pride, and we worship Jesus as our Savior, God. And at the moment of conversion, that is the proclamation of our faith. Jesus, you are God. You are supreme. You took my sin upon yourself. You paid the penalty with your death. And that through faith in you, I would be adopted into the family of God. Redeemed. Reconciled made right before God. I would meet the standard to have presence with God through your righteousness. In a moment of conversion, as much as we know and comprehend in faith, by the work of the Spirit, it is proclaimed. And the author of Hebrews makes it very clear That if that is in fact the work of the Spirit, by the grace of God, your faith will hold. And as days and weeks and months and years go by, with trials, suffering, hardship, Jesus will hold supreme in your faith. You will hold fast to him. His life, his hope. Throughout the faith, or throughout the life of the redeemed, our faith holds by the grace of God, growing and being refined through trials unimagined at conversion. 
Nothing apart from him, only death, everything in him, salvation, life, a Sabbath rest that is beyond the circumstances of the day. Sabbath rest that is perfectly complete, perfectly at peace with God. What an outcome. How precious. If you think on that, you understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, man, nothing is worth comparing to what lies ahead in Jesus. It is solidified in his mind that Jesus is everything. That I owe him everything. That he is my life. I exist for him. And you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, that sounds great. But how? Who am I to obtain such righteousness, such rest? I am so far from perfect. Does God not know me? Does he not know my sin? Does he not know what I hide? Yes, he knows us. What we hide is exposed before God. The author of Hebrews writes in chapter 4, verse 13, No creature is hidden from his sight, but are naked and exposed. What in our pride we hide from one another is not hidden from God. He knows your sin, the worst of it. And so, how is it then that we can rest in Jesus, be at peace with God, Not only is Jesus our perfect revelation, and not only is Jesus the perfect rest, but Jesus is the perfect high priest. Keep reading verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus, the Son, has gone into the presence of God, where he intercedes as our high priest. Our sin atoned by his perfect sacrifice. Our future secured by his eternal priesthood. Notice the two lettuces. By the way, that's also another thing. What, you ever think about the plural of lettuce, like, the, like, the, like a head of lettuce? I, I, I didn't think about that until recently. And... Um, I, I, it's not lettuce. I didn't, I didn't know. It's just lettuces, just, just to let you know. Anyway, random, sorry. Sorry, I'm back to it. Okay, notice first he says, let us, that's the connection, let us hold fast. I know, I know. It's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Let us hold fast, he says in verse 14, to our confession. Don't grow weary. Remember this? Don't grow weary. Go on to maturity. Don't be satisfied with anything less than Jesus. Long to be conformed, to be sanctified into his image. He says, let us 
with confidence draw near. As one who is at peace with God. As one who is right with God. Why? We have Jesus. And he is our righteousness. Go back to chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's cheat and look ahead a little bit. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. Go down to verse 6. A ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant, the agreement, he meditates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. See, Jesus is the high priest of a new covenant, of a better covenant. He fulfills and accomplishes the old covenant, giving access to a better worship. He fulfills and accomplishes the priesthood. He fulfills and accomplishes the sacrificial offerings, atoning for our sin. He fulfills and accomplishes the priesthood forever. Fills and accomplishes the law. Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. It's the argument The author of Hebrews is making the entire worship life of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, has been radically revealed and refocused onto Jesus himself. The full requirement of the law, the righteousness required to be reconciled with God, the redemptive work beyond our ability, perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Like a two-act play, the second act brings clarity. The old covenant revealed Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the question, how can you and I be right with God? Jesus is the answer. He is the new covenant. And you see this as you look back and You remember we set up the Samaritan woman as a little bit of a parallel early on in our Hebrew series. Remember it is Jesus that tells her there's coming a day where you're not going to worship here or in Jerusalem. You will worship in spirit and truth. Our worship, our eternal salvation, our life is in Jesus. This is not some compartmentalized thing that's happening. It is an adoption. It is death 
to self. It is resurrected new life in Jesus. We have a great high priest. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near, receive mercy, find grace through faith. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. One final big idea as the team comes up and we prepare to respond with the Lord's Supper This morning, I want you to respond, and I want you to see the Lord's Supper, and I want you to understand what's happening. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, You ready? This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Jesus knew his life, his blood, introduced a new covenant. He fulfills the old and eternally secures the new. God will forever relate to man through Jesus. Consider as we respond, the author of Hebrews is going to say in chapter 9, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The new covenant is in Jesus. It is in his blood. It is in his life. Where else can we go? I think about this in John chapter 6. It's one of the, man, just one of the greatest little sections of scripture of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 6, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have 
no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Jesus says this, and the multitudes of people, all the people around him, his disciples, people who had followed him, they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't understand it. I mean, think about this. He's saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says, does this offend you? his disciples in that moment walked away Jesus turned he looks back at Peter and he says Peter you want to go and Peter famously responds where else would I go you have the words of eternal life there is no other agreement There is no other covenant. God relates to man now through Jesus. We exist for him. And so as we look back and we remember the blood that he shed, that we might be redeemed, that we might have life in him, I pray we would do so with the awareness and the wisdom that Jesus is the better covenant. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. May we respond and worship in spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.